Welcome to You, Me, and PD, a podcast about the experience of living with Parkinson's disease where we share the voices of both the caregiver and the diagnosed. Jeremy Lickness received his diagnosis of young onset Parkinson's disease in early 2020. He and his wife Doreen share candid conversations about symptoms, solutions, challenges, triumphs, and both the physical and emotional aspects of living with Parkinson's disease. Season 1, The Year of the Diagnosis. And now your hosts, Jeremy and Doreen. Hello, my name is Jeremy Lickness, and I was diagnosed with young onset Parkinson's disease in February of 2020. I'm here with my wife, Doreen. Hello, I'm Doreen. <laughs> and I was diagnosed in February 2020 to be Jeremy's caregiver during this journey of having PD, Parkinson's disease. So tell me a little bit, Doreen, about how you came up with the idea for this podcast. Well, when anything new comes on my plate, I do a lot of research, and I kind of wanted to hear from couples with uh, just hearing about their journey managing this new phase of their lives, and I wasn't really finding anything that had both a caregiver and the patient. So, I talked to you and asked you if you thought it might be helpful to share our story with the listeners out there. And I thought it was a great idea. For us, traditionally, Doreen's been through quite a bit. You had a major back surgery, so I got to play the role of caregiver for a while during that period, and then our roles were reversed. And this first episode is about that first year. We're actually just over one year from my diagnosis, and I want to start out by talking about the things that led to the diagnosis. A lot of times we hear stories from people who have Parkinson's disease that they were misdiagnosed or it just took them a long time to get the diagnosis. So I think every story is unique and, and interesting. And on that note, when did you first suspect that something was going on? I would have to say probably... 2016 ish. I, I, I mean, we're both clumsy people. Um, <laughs> you used to fall upstairs. Uh, you don't do that anymore. But around 2016, you kind of started falling downstairs, um, kind of a lot. And that, in my back of my head, I was like, hmm, well, this is new. That was kind of the first thing that I noticed. Yeah, and I can't put a date to it, but I do remember distinctly noticing that I would, I called it my twitch, where I would suddenly just drop something in my left hand. <laughs> and I'm left-handed, so surprise, my diagnosis started out with most of my symptoms on my left side, so it was my dominant hand. But I would just lose a utensil or lose a glass or a plate, and we kind of laughed about it. Yeah. and. You know, thought it was me being clumsy, but now that we know and can look back, it was happening more often than it than it should. And then probably one of the one incidents that I'm not sure was caused by it or if it just helped shed a light on it was we moved from Georgia 
to Washington State. And during the move, we stayed in some temporary places. We were in a hotel for a while because of the way our house sold and when the movers could come. And I remember carrying something down a flight of stairs. And if I think about it now, I probably had a freeze event. That's where someone with Parkinson's disease is walking and their foot suddenly feels like it's stuck to the floor. You can't move it. And that caused me to fall forward. And I was carrying some heavy objects in my hand and I didn't let go of them. So I ended up falling on the the box, but it was a pretty tough tumble. And I'm pretty sure after that is when I started noticing other things Mm -hmm. come up. Yeah, that was a a pretty bad fall. So let's talk about the, the journey I went on because what started happening, I first started getting a soreness in my elbow, which, you know, most people would think, oh, it could be from exercise. It could be from, you know, any number of things. And of course, I was pretty stubborn and I'm like, okay, it's sore, but it'll go away. Then my left hand started getting stiff. And one of the problems, I guess, with me self-diagnosing, if you will, is that I know I have mild arthritis, so I was thinking the stiffness was my arthritis getting worse. And I still didn't really get concerned about it, but that's when the tremor started. And I don't know, do you remember the first time you noticed the tremor? Was it right before the move? Or right after? Yeah, I can't remember that, that timeline. I just know that At one point, I noticed my hand was trembling, and then I thought, oh, that's interesting. It's probably like a pinched nerve. It might be the position that my hand is in. And then it started getting more and more frequent, and that's why I decided to call this episode that Parkinson's thing, because it culminated when I was at a work event. And we were listening to someone give a presentation. I was kind of standing in the back. And my tremor is what we would call a a resting tremor, I guess, basically. When I'm not actively doing something with my arm, that's when the tremor happens. And it's kind of everything from my elbow down to my hand. And that started shaking. And what would normally happen is ordinarily when I start having a tremor, I could focus on it. And think, you know, straighten out my arm, be still, and it wouldn't stop. (laughs) And then one of my coworkers turned and said, oh, what's going on there? You got a Parkinson's thing going on? And I remember sort of laughing it off, thinking, oh, gosh, this inappropriate joke, right? But um, yeah, that's, that's definitely not me. So the first person we went to was a naturopath. And that diagnosis was, oh, maybe it's a nerve thing. Here's some stretches and exercises to get you through it. And I exercise pretty regularly. In fact, I I think it's, it's relevant because in future episodes, we'll talk about exercise and, and nutrition. So I will say that around 2000, Both of us went through a lifestyle transformation. I was incredibly overweight. I think I was pushing around 250, 260 on a five foot nine frame. 
And uh, probably a better indicator was my belt size was 40. I think it was 48. 48. Mm-hmm. And I was popping buttons mm-hmm. on those pants. So short story boring because of of health reasons and and a variety of, of other factors. I went through a lot of false starts and finally found a lifestyle that clicked and became active. And and the point of this is that I've exercised regularly for 20 years now, right? Since that that initial weight loss. I ended up dropping down to 180 pounds at my leanest and maintain around 200. But um, I'm thinking, okay, I already stretch. I already exercise. I'm not sure where this is going. So let me go to my general practitioner. So doctor visit number two, they take a look at that. And I don't know if you remember what the referral was Mm -mm. from that. Mm -mm. I got referred to a carpal tunnel specialist, Mm -hmm. which made sense. It it could have been that because my main job is working with computers. I'm on the keyboard and the mouse. And actually, that was a huge factor in wanting to get treatment because the stiffness in my hand was getting so bad. I can usually type around 100 words per minute. And the stiffness in my hand was so bad that I was down to like 60 words per minute. And I was so frustrated because I'm hunting and pecking with my left hand. So we see the carpal tunnel specialist. They take x-rays. And oh my gosh, I almost forgot what happened after that too. We'll, We'll get to that in a second. But he basically said I had a mild case, probably doesn't warrant surgery. I could have surgery, but it definitely was not what was causing the tremor. So then the referral after that was to the torture doctor. Do you remember the torture doctor? Mm -mm. That's the one with the electrified needles. Oh, I didn't go with you on that, but yes. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm sure I told you the, Mm -hmm. the stories. I remember now. Yeah, that was rough because... Basically, for those of you who aren't familiar with what I'm talking about, they decided to do a neurological test to isolate where the nerve issues were coming from. This involved, and I knew they were going to stick electrodes on me, which I was fine with. They actually shocked me, which I was fine with. I actually, even though it was like a sharp pain and it made my arm jump about 20 feet in the air, it it wasn't so bad. What I didn't realize is that they were then going to stick electrified needles into my hand. So he pokes me, and, and the whole time the doctor's telling me, you're making me do this because we're having trouble hunting down what's going on. And he actually stuck it into my hand and was wiggling the needle. And I was pretty nauseous at that point. And he's asking me, why are you sweating? (laughs) And I'm like, because it hurts. Make it stop. So that one was inconclusive. And they said, well, maybe it's in your neck. So that was the next stage of the journey. And by now, months had passed. And I don't know, do you have an idea of your thoughts during that period, like when we were not able to figure out what was going on? 
Quite frankly, when you came home from that event where the colleague said, oh, what, what's going on there, that Parkinson's thing, I, that was the first time it ever hit my radar. And I was like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. So I kind of did some very brief research and I was like, you know what? I need to stop because it might not even be PD. So I'm just going to, you know, trust the doctors and just see where this journey unfolds. So when you were doing the, the research, did you stop because you were bothered by what you were finding? Mm-hmm. Or? Yeah. And I, I went right to the Michael J. Fox Foundation. Yeah. I just thought, you know what? I don't need to get concerned or worried because this might not even be the path. So. How much did you know about Parkinson's disease? Uh, typically that it happened in old people. So, and that was another thing. I was like, my gosh, Jeremy's so young. Yeah, sure. It's, it's not that. So. And for the, the listeners, I'm 47. Sure. 46. <laughs> Something like that. Something like that. <laughs> I was diagnosed in 2020. So that would have put me at 46. Yeah. With my diagnosis. So technically young onset Parkinson's. And that's the same boat I was in. I was not very familiar with it, hadn't done research. I knew, like a lot of people did, that Michael J. Fox had it. And I knew, like you did, that it typically affected older people. So, quite frankly, I had a moment where I thought that might be what it is. And then... So many of the specialists I was seeing were like, no, you're too young for it to be that, that I just dialed it out of my radar. So we went to the neck doctor and they did a scan and there was some constriction that they found, like some inflammation, but again, not the tremor. So this is when things start to get, what, in my opinion, pretty interesting. So I don't know if you remember, but the doctor, the neck doctor, ordered a brain scan. Mm-hmm. And I forget the type of scan. It was, was it an MRI or? Uh, it might have been. Or a CAT scan. I should I, probably know these yeah, details. Yeah, I think it was an but, MRI, but. <clears throat> but they, they did the scan. To see if there was anything obvious causing a neurological block in my brain. And with the type of scan that they did, the only thing that came up was this little comment about white matter. And I still am not an expert on white matter. I remember researching and he said, oh, you have some abnormal white matter levels and you research white matter and it's something produced in in the brain and it's a type of brain tissue and it can be indicative of a number of like when you read the laundry list of things it might point to it's a long list and it certainly wasn't definitive for anything but he said oh that's interesting he did. That, <laughs> but, those were his exact words. Well, this is interesting. Yeah, he said this is interesting but we're still we're not in the the realm of the diagnosis, it still wasn't definitive. So, I think that's five or six. And I guess I forgot somewhere in there, someone prescribed me physical therapy 
Mm. Mm-hmm. And I remember the physical therapist being stumped as well. He would ask me, okay, now show me like how the trimmer initiates and I would relax my arm at my side and it would start shaking and he was, you know, feeling my elbow joint and they did cupping, which is a process where there's basically like a suction cup placed on your muscle to manipulate the muscle tissue. They had me carry weights. They had me do different exercises and stretches and nothing was making the tremor stop. I was certainly getting stronger, (laughs) but nothing was working. And pretty much everyone I had seen to that point said, well, you've got this, but that's not what's causing your tremor. So we went to a neurologist and the neurologist looked at the result of my brain scan and looked at me, did an assessment. I remember thinking these assessments are, are really interesting. So if If you're not familiar with what the assessment looks like, it's things like tapping your foot, stomping with one leg at a time, taking your fingers and pinching them together, standing while they push you. Now that I'm familiar with Parkinson's, I understand the details of what goes into that. At the time, I'm was just, what are they looking for? Is it, you know, lack of response? Is it this, that, or the other? So, he ordered the next in a battery of tests, which was the DAT scan. And the DAT scan is a pretty involved procedure. You're basically injected with a radioactive tracer So you have to take some iodine to kind of dilute your body so that the tracer doesn't remain. They give you this tracer. They give it some time to get into your brain. Then they take a special scan, and the scan specifically looks at, I think, if I understand it correctly, dopamine levels in your brain. So the scan came back, and I had an abnormality. I had fewer dopamine cells or there was a definite issue with the right side of my brain. And do you remember that visit? Oh, yeah, I remember that visit. It was very awkward. And what was awkward about it? He, um, how did he say it? Well, I don't want to tell you you don't have Parkinson's. And we looked at each other and kind of cocked our heads and were like, what does that mean? Yeah, so that's exactly how I remember it. I remember him saying, based on the assessment and the DAT scan, there's a possibility that you have Parkinson's disease. And I said, well, how do we get from possibility to we know it or not? And his response was, well, I can't be certain, but I don't want you to think that you don't have it. (laughs) Which... But so the one thing he did do is he did talk to me about what's called a dopamine agonist. And there's a medication called Repinerol, which basically your brain, a lot of the, the symptoms, the side effects are caused because of a lack of dopamine, which is a chemical that helps cells communicate with each other. 
Without dopamine, the cells can't cross that barrier between them, and so signals get lost. And things like a tremor are apparently part of like a short circuit, basically a feedback loop, because that message isn't being sent. So the idea behind an agonist is that it gives your body a kind of boost to produce more of its own dopamine to compensate for the cells that have died off that would normally produce dopamine. So the thought was, if it was Parkinson's, the repenorol would alleviate my symptoms. If it wasn't Parkinson's, then it wouldn't. So we got the prescription, I started taking it, and I had probably what was one of the most <laughs> horrible weekends mm -hmm. that I can recall. I think you started on a Friday? Yeah. Which, I mean, I guess was a good thing because I didn't have to miss out on work. But I remember there are a ton of side effects. For me, I felt extremely nauseous. And I was cramping, like I had terrible stomach cramps. And so you decided to take us on a road trip to try to take my mind a off it. day drive, not like we went, we weren't gone for days. But yeah, Sunday I thought, well, maybe just to get you out of, because at, at this point I was just a few months after I lost my brother. So it was kind of a a double whammy at this point when you got your diagnosis. And I was like, we just need to get out of the house. So I thought, okay, obviously I'll drive. Yeah. And and at that point, we were still in limbo, too, because we didn't have a definitive diagnosis. We had a probable diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And I just remember thinking, if this is how it's going to be, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't take this. I feel worse than... I've ever felt. And I remember we drove. It was a beautiful day. And I'm pretty sure that's the day we counted more eagles. You did, yeah. We went yeah. to an island. There's so many islands out here. So you're pretty much guaranteed to see eagles out here. Right. And they were just perched in the trees off the side of the road, flying through the sky. Do you remember how many you counted? I remember counting 30-something, I no, think. No, 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 no. It was 16. 16. Yeah. It was still a big number. But when I tell this story in a year, it's going to be 45, <laughs> and pretty soon it's going to be the weekend we saw 100 <laughs> eagles. But we saw a lot of, of bald eagles. And I remember coming back, and then the next day was actually a better day. And then within a few weeks, the side effects completely went away. And the biggest thing that I remember noticing is not so much my tremor definitely stopped happening as much, but my stiffness in my left hand went away. And I remember typing at the keyboard and thinking, I feel like I'm typing like I used to be able to type. So I ran over to a website really quick. That was a word per minute website and started typing. And I think when I had my stiff hand, I was like, how much has this slowed me down? And I was down to, I, I say down to because I used to type really fast, 100 words per minute or so. But I was down to 60 words per minute. And after taking the Repenerol, that was back up to 80-something. 
And I was like, wow, this is, this is working. So that had to have been one of the most eventful weeks for us as mm-hmm. well, because that's not the only thing that happened. So that same week, I had been working for Microsoft for a couple years and in a certain role. And that role is is actually what led us to be able to move from Georgia to Washington. So it was a great thing. But I was looking to change roles, find out what else was out there. And I went through this awesome interview process, which is actually interesting. I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit. Because one of the things that comes up with people with Parkinson's disease in every survey I take, because I participate in a lot of trials and, and studies, the question comes up, have you recently been embarrassed in public by your Parkinson's symptoms? And I don't really get, I wouldn't say I get embarrassed. Sometimes when I'm tremoring and I notice people noticing, it's not so much like, oh my gosh, I wish they didn't see it, but it's, I wonder what's going through their head and how can I let them know it's okay? Like, this isn't a a bad thing that's happening. It's just a symptom of, of something I have. But I remember going through that interview process and and this is the, oh, there's just so much packed into this this week that we got the the diagnosis. So it was before COVID restrictions came out. This was February timeframe of 2020. And I was on campus for a half day interview. So it was four hour long rounds with multiple people going through a, a process that was pretty intimidating. And another thing I've learned since my diagnosis is that stress is a trigger for Parkinson's symptoms. So when I'm feeling stress, that's when I tremor, that's when I'm stiff, that's when I have other things happening. So I remember thinking, am I going to tremor during the interview? Like if I get up to the whiteboard, am I going to be shaking uncontrollably? And how is that going to reflect on my interview process? Looking back on it, I don't think it was an issue. I either wasn't tremoring or I just wasn't noticing it. But I remember that being a factor. And so on Tuesday, I got the call that the interview went well and I was offered the new role. So this is already a pretty big change coming for that week. Wednesday, we decided to see a movement disorder specialist. And this is something I really want to highlight for those of you listening who think you may have Parkinson's or know someone who may have Parkinson's disease. Neurologists are great, but movement disorder specialists, this is what they do and what they know. And going to a specialist is key. It was key for us. And that was our meeting the next day with the specialist. And I think you're the one who who found this Mm -hmm. specialist. Mm Mm-hmm. So you had done some research. He's connected with the Michael J. Fox Foundation and uh, right here close to home, which was just wonderful. So Yeah, so we figured out he was here. He had a dedicated Parkinson's disease clinic. He was connected to the Michael J. Fox Foundation, which is where we started researching and finding out our information. 
He was nearby. And final bonus, he was on our insurance plan. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember visiting the doctor. And he basically said, after examining me, looking at my scans and everything else, he said, you have as much of a, how do you put it, as much of a classical... Classic textbook. Classic textbook set of mm -hmm. Parkinson's disease symptoms. It's, there's no easy way to say this, but you have Parkinson's disease. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll share how I felt, and then you tell me what um, your thoughts were. I remember in order, first thinking, thank goodness, we know what this is, so we can start to plan how to battle it. And then, oh my gosh, I have Parkinson's disease. What does that even mean? So I was on the same page with you with number one, well, thank God we know what we're dealing with, because it was a two-year journey just to get the diagnosis. And then my next immediate thought was, all right, what do we do? What do we do next? So what's the plan? That's where I was. Yeah, and the the plan was interesting at the time because it was pretty much continue the repenerol because I was seeing positive results from that. And I also through the assessment got a score and I was diagnosed initially as stage 2. And the staging system in a nutshell at, at a very high level Stage one means you are showing symptoms on one side of your body, which most of mine were on the left side. Stage two means you present symptoms on the right side. And I had kind of a pause and a toe tap or something on the right side. Stage three is you start to have difficulty doing everyday things like brushing your teeth, buttoning your shirts or tying your shoes. And then stage four, you require assistance for living. So I was diagnosed at stage two. I'm actually in stage one now because my right side symptoms don't present themselves, which is pretty exciting and something we'll cover in, in a later episode. But after that diagnosis, I remember there were tears and then there was, okay, let's get online, find out everything we can learn about Parkinson's disease. And I don't know, do you have impressions from those first days as you're researching it? Kind yeah, of? I, I kind of was stumbling upon some sites that were talking about severe cases. And I was like, oh, wait, no, no, I, I don't need to go down this road because that's not where we're at right now. But it's good to know that there's information out there. If, when you get to that, you know, we'll have, uh, we now have our team in place with your movement disorder and um, just a whole, you know, a lot of other things in place. Like the, like you said, we're going to talk later about nutrition, exercise, um, and the medical team. To me, that's, it's a three prong approach to dealing with this situation. And there's things that the specialist can do, and there's things that I have to do, and there's things that, that you have to do. Mm -hmm. And that, that's one thing that um, Doreen's always been great about is organizing, keeping track of things. 
And I don't remember if it was before my diagnosis or after that you started taking notes. Well, I read that online and it said advice is always, if possible, always bring a caregiver, a friend, somebody with you to your appointments with your movement disorder specialist because you're not going to remember, you know, every, everything I read said the patient is not going to remember everything that happened seven months ago and he's just now, he or she is just now meeting with the doctor. So I started just on my phone uh, whenever you would say something's different or something's bothering you, I wouldn't automatically put it on my list. But if you mentioned it at least two or three times, then it went on my list. And then before every doctor's appointment, I have you look at the list. You're like, oh my God, I forgot about this. I forgot about that. And sometimes things are, are no longer an issue. He's like, yeah, it's, that's, that comes off the list. But um, your doctor said this is very helpful for him because I've got it right there in front of us. Well, I think the other thing that's helpful too is there's so much that when it happens often, we sort of tune it out, get kind of used to it. So I know with my tremors, for example, I just started living with the fact that my left arm would tremor. And so I stopped paying attention to how often it would come. So that was useful. But I think for me, the the positive was there were great resources to reach out to. And I devoured everything I could on the website. And with anything, my plan of attack is always, what can I do? What can I take responsibility for? I will do everything I can to avoid medication, but I'm not against medication. I'm just against it as the, the reflex action. So I have a hypothyroid and I take thyroid medication. I take some medication for my gut because those are the things that need to treat it. But with Parkinson's disease, I said, We'll probably have to have medication for this aspect, but what parts of it can I control myself? That was one of the first things I started researching. The other thing is uh, the Michael J. Fox Foundation site has these stories, these profiles of individuals who had Parkinson's disease, and they share their story, how they got diagnosed, how they're coping with it, and there's videos so you can see them. And, you know, I was very curious, what does it look like for someone who's had it for 10 years, 20 years? And to understand everyone has a different journey. Their symptoms present differently. They respond to it differently. I know we heard a lot of stories about people. In fact, Michael J. Fox is open with his story that went into denial and, and depression. And spend a long time just avoiding it, not being treated for it. My approach was more, I immediately knew that I wanted to advocate for it and be very public. And it's interesting because I had friends tell me not to let my employer know that, it, you know, there's, and, and there's a real potential for this. So I'm not saying it doesn't happen. There's a potential for discrimination. Even though it's illegal, people can still do that. My experience was with such an open, inviting, and welcome culture. 
that I felt very confident doing it. And, you know, there was something that created a connection that really surprised me when I got the diagnosis. The year before the diagnosis, I went to a major conference that our company hosts. And it's, I mean, thousands of people rents out massive space. And one of the projects they highlighted was a project about a woman who had Parkinson's disease and her hand control was so compromised that she couldn't, she liked to sketch and she couldn't even write her own name. And a researcher at our company came up with a prototype of a device that sends, as far as I understand it, kind of electric shocks or actually it buzzes in response to tremors. And there's something about the buzz that sort of short circuits that whole process and compensates and actually makes the tremor go away. And so they basically concluded the video with her writing and drawing, making like a square for the first time that had perfect lines. And it was very emotional. I was very excited about it. And this was before it was even on the radar that I had Parkinson's disease. So when I got the diagnosis, I immediately thought of that project. And I realized that our company has support groups and resource groups for people with movement disorders to the extent that they will even provide speech to text software. So if you can't type, you can dictate and other things to, to help with that. So I <laughs> had this interesting conversation with my new manager who was preparing me for the job that I came off of was heavy travel. And we will talk more about that, I'm sure. But this was going to be not as much travel, but a lot of time in the office and not so much working from home. So we got the information, and I told him right there, just so you know, I'm super excited about this job and that I'm going to be starting, but I also received the news that I have Parkinson's disease, and I will keep you up to date with you know what's going on with that. It's not currently interfering with my role, but I have it. And he said, you know what, my grandfather had that. So it's something that I've experienced firsthand and anything I can do to support you, let me know, which felt really good. I think that same week I signed up to start a blog and I wrote <laughs> two blog posts. I wrote one on my work-related blog, my technology blog, talking about my new role. And then I wrote a post that said, hey, everyone, I'm diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And here are my thoughts and, and feelings. And then the other thing that came out of it was looking back, leading up to it, there were so many things that were happening that made sense. I don't know if you remember, but I was traveling around the world to speak at conferences. And suddenly, and I had traveled before, I loved traveling, I had a sense of adventure. Suddenly, Every time I travel, I would get severely depressed and anxious for no reason. I think you received a few late night <laughs> phone calls because yeah. of that. 
it was very unlike you. And we were both like, what's, what's happening? What's yeah, going on? So, so it was interesting to find out that depression and anxiety can be symptoms of Parkinson's disease and it can be a chemical thing, not necessarily an emotional thing. And the other thing that I'm so thankful has not returned was the dystonia mm. or the muscle spasms on my left foot. I would fall to the ground in pain because my left foot would just cramp so st- severely. And the repenerol within a week, week and a half seemed to, to clear that up. And your doctor indicated that this is the beginning of your medications, that at some point, well, you've already experienced some dose increases, but at some point the med itself will change depending on where you're at, right? Yep. So yeah, this is not one and done type of medication situation. No, it's not. I have this new outlook. It's not new and, and it's just invigorated, I guess I'll say, because I've always had a saying that I like to share that I think is indicative of how I approach life, and that's life's going up the down escalator, right? If you stand still, you fall behind. <laughs> and Doreen and I have this kind of joke that every year is more momentous. <laughs> it's funny you say that at the beginning of 2021. Yeah. Like there's never a dull year. There's never a dull year. Every time we think, okay, maybe this year we'll slow down. And we embrace most of it. It's positive change. It's moving. It's new roles. It's new additions to our our life. But 2020 was... It sucked. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That brought a, a lot of negative change. But with this diagnosis, I looked at it and I said, okay, let me focus on what I can control. Let's take it a day at a time. And one of the things that I found immediately was the impact of a healthy diet on Parkinson's, which, and again, we'll get into this more in later episodes, I follow a plant-based diet. I have some fish, some egg, but it's, I would say, 95% plant-based. I was strict vegan for five years, and then I started adding a few things for, for protein. So I felt like that was dialed in, but the exercise, I've always exercised. But every study that I found showed, without a doubt, the more exercise, the more frequency, the more intensity someone with Parkinson's disease does, the slower their symptoms progress, the better quality of life. And so I started some workout challenges and and started just tackling it. A, a day at a time. And you know, it's funny to me to think back of that journey where it started out with kind of, oh, what's going on there? That Parkinson's thing <laughs> to, yes, I do have Parkinson's disease. I'm vocal about it. I'm going to share it. I'm going to advocate for it. And um, I'm at a point today where I know there's going to be ups and downs, and I know that it's a progressive disease. So until there's a breakthrough, it's not going to go backwards. Mm-hmm. So every cell I lose is a cell that, that's gone. Pretty soon there's going to be three cells left, right? One's going to be dead. The second will have the third <laughs> in a headlock saying, tell me what you know. <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> but uh, 
<laughs> Until that time comes, we'll keep on keeping on. Did you have any thoughts just around the, the first year from your perspective as a caregiver? It was just, well, um, in the very beginning, I would say February, March, April, and we'll expand more on the specific uh, situations on the next episode. But um, just asking you if you needed help and you immediately saying no. Because there were just certain things that was clear you needed help with. And I was being stubborn. You're being stubborn. So it, it was hurtful to me. But I understood where we're both going through a process, but you're trying to figure out you. And I just, I'm like, okay, I'm here if you need help. And then, you know, things changed for the better. So, yeah. And that's something that the reason why I like that we're doing this show, because there were many things I didn't realize I was doing. I didn't realize that you were seeing symptoms. I didn't realize I was rejecting your attempt to communicate and. My advice to anyone listening is communicate with your caregiver. Ask and when people offer help, receive the help. Or if you truly believe you don't need it, talk about it. Mm -hmm. Don't just outright refuse it. Yeah. In closing, what else happened uh, right after all the excitement from February of 2020? So I think the, the thing we can stop with and we'll, we'll talk about kind of what happened after the diagnosis. Start a new job, got diagnosed with a, a uh, progressive disease, and COVID <laughs> lockdowns happened. In fact, the day that I was supposed to go in the office for my new job is the day our campus was locked down, and I have stepped foot on campus once to repair a machine in the year since. So, and, and this is something I know affected everyone, but it was very unique for us how all of these things happen at once. And we had several other events too, that I won't get into now because I know we're going to jump into them for other episodes, but that is an introduction. Again, my name is Jeremy Lickness. I'm here with my wife, Doreen, we will continue to explore the things we learned, the journey, the ups, the downs, how we coped with the physical, the mental, the spiritual aspects over the next few episodes. And I encourage you to reach out to us and let us know your experiences because this is a huge community. And one of the things that I, I left off that I want to mention is I've never been someone who thinks of support groups as as a, a means to go to. Come to think of it, I actually have had my my um, equivalent of support groups. I had a study group at church that I went to loyally for seven years and just didn't call it a support group, but it really was a spiritual support group. But one of the first things we did was reached out to local Parkinson's disease support groups. And that was a very positive interaction because we met the coordinator for the group and we've had some some great times with that. And this happened to be a specific young onset group, which was amazing. I mean, not everyone in there is under the age of 50. Um, 
but it's it's really nice to meet people at various ages and various stages of their journey. Thank you, everyone, for your time and your attention. We look forward to sharing more with you as the season evolves. This has been That Parkinson's Disease, Season 1, The Diagnosis of You, Me, and PD. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Jeremy and Doreen's journey and for the opportunity to contribute to a cure, please visit us online at youmeandpd.org. You, Me, and PD is produced by Poit Productions in New London, Connecticut. Our show is edited by Brandon Wen. Our music is by the Groove Chillers featuring Carl Franklin and yours truly, Doug Wolverton. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.